enough of that. Yeah, I, um, if you don't know, that was a video um, back in the 1980s to a movie, The Jewel of the Nile, and it starred those three faces you saw there, Kathleen Turner, Danny DeVito, and the lead star, I think, was Michael Douglas. Um, back in the 1980s, um, before I was born, so some of you are older, um, will really connect with that song and all the rest. But to be honest with you, I was preparing this message and working through this study of Acts, which has been so wonderful. Just, I thank you for allowing me to have a full-time job getting into God's Word and being able to share it with you. And I don't get to share... Well, you know every Sunday I'm kind of trying to get in as much as I can, but there's just so much and so rich. If you look at this passage of Scripture we're looking at today, they are going through incredibly tough times. We've gone through tough times, right? You as a church and, and as a, our whole world with the whole COVID thing, and people have been asking, you know, what's the policy? I think it's really tough to know the way everything changes all the time. People ask in our own church, we're just saying masks are optional. We've always said we want to go by the governor's mandates, and we've continued to do that. Um, and then we've we've made this commitment. We want it to be a safe place, and we also want it to be a place where you can engage at a place that you feel comfortable. So if you feel like a mask is important, I would ask others, if they're wearing masks, that you continue to keep some space and distance, because we want to honor everybody. Um, we want you all to be able to find a place where you can be welcome. But tough times are a part of our life. You may be going through a very tough time right now. I think depressions and anxiety and all these other things have just skyrocketed. And I think this message is really appropriate. So as I was preparing this and saw that, I started thinking, oh, what would be some cliches? And the one that popped in my mind was that cheesy one when the tough, uh, when the, uh, what is it, when tough... When it going gets tough, thank you. See, it popped into my mind the right way the first time. But I did look it up on the internet. And that's the very first thing that came up was this Billy Ocean song. And I thought, we got to play that. <laughs> I just I just think the, the, the footwork of Danny and DeVito and them and that synchronization of dance and the background singing, et cetera, was good. But anyway, as we look at this scene... You have to go back as it begins in Acts 13. There's kind of a shift, and we've called it unprecedented because there's an, this whole series that we're going to do in Acts, and we've been just bringing it into little mini-series throughout it. This is what I call unprecedented through a number of things that happen in these next number of chapters. Unprecedented because in Acts 13, they come together in a city of Antioch, not in Jerusalem, where you might think it would all be born from, but in a place north of that called Antioch. And there's lots of Antiochs in that day, so today we're going to also be going into a city called Pisces city of Antioch, but this church comes together, they're seeing God touch lives of people who are not Jews, they're trying to figure out how do you live this call of God through Jesus Christ that comes out of the Old Testament, how do you live this in a relevant way, how do you, how do you continue to spread the gospel so that everybody can hear it and there'll be no hindrances, no obstacles, And so that's what they're, so they're praying to God. They come together like a group of people like this and they just spend time. And I think in those days it wasn't like an hour and you're out. It was like for the afternoon or morning, whatever. And they worshiped God and they went into a time of fasting as a group. And and then some people who are prophets who have the ability to to speak forth the word of God. Often prophets don't speaking forth in the future, but in, in, in the way that they did here. It's God calling to someone in a moment and it's verified by the, by the entire body out of a 
person who's credible in their walk with the Lord, they spoke up and said, you know what? We sense the Holy Spirit is hearing and the Holy Spirit then says to them, set apart Saul and Barnabas to do what your hearts long to do and that's to reach the world and as many people as you can with, with the gospel. Kind of when we went through this survey this last year and we went through a time of praying and we went through a time of pause in, in 21 days where we said, let's make space for God and fasting and prayer. And you have said, let's do three things. Let's reach as many people as we can with the gospel. Let's as a church body make a shift and embrace and empower those who are younger, which we saw. Like, wasn't that fun? Thank you, Mikhail and Sam. And then let's do this together. So let's get into this passage because I know I'm not going to have enough time. So you know how I am in these messages. My first few points will probably be longer and then we'll kind of fly through the last. But I purposely did that this way, so this time, so you don't need to get too nervous. But they go into Acts 13 and that's what happens. They get sent out. They go to Cyprus. And in Cyprus, they're well received. They're just, you know, they actually, one of the officials of the land is excited and believes. There's a person who has the official's ear who is standing as an obstacle to the gospel. And just like Saul, who was blinded um, because of his obstinacy, so also this person is blinded with the hope that in their heart they'll eventually see. I don't believe he ever did. They come out of that place feeling victory. They believe the words that, that Jesus said to Saul when he was brought, you know, at that Damascus experience when he was blinded by the light and the prophet spoke to him and said, guess what? You are going to stand before nations and kings and officials. And here's an official he's standing before sharing the gospel who's excited. And they leave that place. They're really excited. And as they leave that place, one of the things I didn't get to mention last week is that you see a change now in the name from Saul to Paul. This very first part, when we get into chapter 13, verse 13, is what we're looking at here. He says, now Paul and his companions. And just a little bit before that, he starts calling him Paul. Because what's happened is that Paul is moving into a place where he's doing what God called him to do, kind of in his destiny. What he was destined by Jesus to do, though it took time of training. And then he gives him a new name. That new name is really important. And one of the things that we're looking at is a reset. We've talked about a reset of new name and a reset of a governance and a reset in staffing. The the new name is important because I want you to hear this. We're not trying to find a name that's really hip and cool. doesn't mean we don't want a name that will fit well our culture. But we really believe in the same way that you look at what God did with Saul into Paul, is we believe God has done incredible things to so many people for years have worked through Wyzetta Free. He's done an incredible thing. But we believe that there's a new era that's coming and that God is doing something. And we're saying, God, what is the name you're calling for us? What is the name that you have for us as we move into this new place? So that's why we've been looking through all this stuff. Paul is now called Paul, not Saul. He's now made the lead person as they go out. It's Paul and his companions, where before it was always Barnabas and Saul, for some 13 to 15 years. And so we come to this place, and you have to understand that as they leave Cyprus and they get on the boat to go to Pamphylia, which is this district area. In fact, I have a map. Do you want to show the map? Um, that's kind of his travels. The blue, they're in Cyprus, really great missionary thing. They get on the boat. They go up to the little place called Pamphylia. But you need to know about Pamphylia in all of Asia. There was one major, there's a number of guys, but one major one was a, uh, called um, Diana in, in one, but it's also Artemis. 
which was a, a very strong God, uh, as a woman who, um, I won't get into all the, all the, um, mis, uh, the, um, the gods of the, of the Romans, but it was connected to Apollos, but a very strong God who, um, especially among women and was raising up, um, uh, strong, very vocal women in that culture. And, and it, it's height is in Ephesus. So if you want to read more about it, read F, in Acts chapter 19, you'll see it. But in that area, they have this God, um, Diana, this God Artemis, who is kind of another strong God. They go through these areas, which is a kind of southern Galatia, south, southern Asia Minor, and they go through, and we're right now just landing at Perga. So we read here in verse 13, Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. You have hardly anything stated about Perga and what happened there. Luke 13.5 tells us that when Paul and and Barnabas set out, they had some companions, primarily was John Mark. And now when we get to the shore of Perga, John Mark bails on them. He he says in 13.5, John was with them as their helper. He was a key person. And there's some reasons why John Mark may have bailed. Here's some of the background that tells you why it was getting tough. Many of them believe that when they stepped onto the boat, that that trip across in that sea was a very, very difficult journey. Probably John Mark hadn't traveled much by by sea. Could have been that. They don't really know what caused John Mark to want to bail. Some believe maybe he was homesick. Some thought the persecution was maybe scary. Some commentators will talk about the traveling conditions. Like, you know, John Mark was not a camper. He was hoping for four seasons, and Paul was a little tight and didn't expect the camping trip. Uh, some, some commentators believe Paul's type A personality was a lot different than what he had experienced with Barnabas. Barnabas was his cousin. They were, they were related, Barnabas and, and John Mark. And Barnabas was this encourager, nice guy. Everybody, you know, he knew how to just bring people together. He, he, he saw the, the, um, the worst, but he looked always at the best of people. And he used and moved into that. It could have been illness. It could have been the strange food and things they were eating that maybe John Mark wasn't used to. But what becomes tough here is now they're down a man and every man was indispensable for this trip. And I probably would imagine with John Mark leaving and how that landed on Paul, that it, I can imagine some really tough conversations between Paul and Barnabas. You know, this is his cousin that's that's leaving and and it would it would actually as we go into acts 15 if you read ahead verses 36 to verse 43 you'll find that one of the most difficult passages in the new testament but i love about it is so real there is a split a division between two guys who were like were ministry partners sealed together by their hearts in ministry and at that point they went two different ways because of a disagreement around John Mark. And Paul said, I, when they were going to do it, I can't trust this John Mark. He bailed before. I cannot go into a situation where my life is at risk and I can't depend on that person. 
The gospel that we need to get out to people is too important. So they split. We'll get into that in a few weeks down the road. But they leave, here's the point, they leave Cyprus on a high and their first stop is a success. Things going well, but then it gets really, really tough. And here how it gets tough. Not only is John Mark Bale, but they begin to get opposition like they didn't before. They're in the lowlands. They're about 12 miles into shore. They're kind of in that valley lowland area. And it's it, it historically has been ridden with mosquitoes, so malaria is probably going to get anybody who goes through it. Many believe, commentators, that that's where Paul got malaria, where he had really bad headaches, and he was also having a condition with many believe, like with a glaucoma, which later on when he had to have someone, he says so-and-so's writing because he couldn't see very clearly. All this is happening. Paul and Barnabas, it's the low, low times. You can maybe understand why John Mark bails. And they're in the, they're in the worst season that they ever have been, could have imagined. And so what I want us to look at is what does it mean to be spiritually resilient in really difficult times like you might be facing right now? And if you're not facing them now, you might in a couple weeks. What does it mean for you to be spiritually tough? Right? When, when, when the going gets tough, how are the spiritually tough going to respond? So we're going to look at some spiritually tough responses. Um, and the first one is this, that the spiritually tough keep their eye on God's call. They remain determined because they're, they're convinced that he, as he says, as Paul says later, um, who began a good work in you will complete it. There's a sense that if God called us on this good work, we're going to keep our eye on it. I don't know what your responses are when tough times come. I think we all have certain responses. We are obviously see here that John Mark had one. And, and it may be that you kind of relate to John Mark and you know what it means that you felt God calling and you bailed and you ran out and you quit. And you may be in that place going, I don't know if I want to enter into ministry again because I've been really hurt. I've been really wounded. I, 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 it was really tough. You know what the great joy of, of reading the Word of God and in work, in, in being in relationship with this gracious, loving Jesus is? Even if you've bailed, He's still faithful. And He doesn't, you know, He'll still call you. He may call you still back into the same thing. I don't know. Because if you go through the New Testament, you'll find later that Paul, in his last days, when he's alone, when he feels like everyone's deserted him, he's commending John Mark. Because John Mark heard that call, even though he bailed, and he went back to that call, and he lived it out. You could do the same. And and I don't know, when when I talk about tough times, you might be thinking all about, well, it's all about ministry. It's about marriages. I mean, it's really, if it gets tough and you felt God called you into this thing and you go, I'm bailing. I'm out of here. God still has forgiveness and still can move you towards him. Just keep your eye on God's call. That's the thing. Is God called you into this? Is God called you at one point? Don't play games with, well, we weren't really meant for each other. I, I, what is God calling you to do? Another response is blame. I could imagine Barnabas saying to Paul something like, listen, Paul, it was my, I really wanted to stay on Cyprus. Did you see how things were going there? You were the one who wanted to go to Pamphylia. You know how that happens in a situation? It's really easy to start blaming. 
and it doesn't help. It, another response is um, complain is is to actually begin to start to complain and whine, which is, the scripture says that's not a biblical response; it's a sinful response. Think about it for a second. What are you complaining about right now because the times are tough or because you don't like what you're doing or you don't like what's happening externally? What's your response? It's real easy to complain and whine. We, my wife and I with some others do marriage groups and one of the things that we often will share with people in marriage is that, you know, it's learning how to set proper boundaries and how to be engaging in the right ways. We always tell people though, if you have said yes, then you can't go into it with resentment. Complaining and whining are no longer an option because Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And it's just a healthy way to live. In fact, the word of God says, if you make a commitment, yes, and you know you shouldn't be, what it says is go right away and, and, and reverse that decision. So here he see this, these responses. I think another one would probably have been in doubt. It's kind of like, man, did the Holy Spirit really call us? You know, I really believe God called me to, to, to start this business and do this, but now the spiritually resilient, those who are tough when it, when the going gets tough, they keep their eye on what God has called them to do. And so that's what I'm going to ask you to do right now. If you're in that place and it's tough, what you need to, I think, practice doing is, is just saying, Jesus, what are you calling me to? Not about your emotions, but listen to the voice. You, God will speak to you. What Paul does and Barnabas do is a couple different things. One is they just kept going. They trusted that God called them, so they went forward. That's one response. And here's another thing I think is interesting. I think they also practiced self-care. They understood they had a body, and this body was important because if you don't have a body, you're not going to be here to do ministry, right? How you take care of your body as a believer is a really important thing because it's through this body, it's the vehicle God has given you to touch people with his Holy Spirit. And so I think what's interesting here is, is you read in this scripture that what they did was they went from Perga to Pisidian Antioch. And you, if you don't understand and kind of study it, you'll, you won't understand that they went from this valley of this malaria-ridden area to about 3,600 feet into the mountains to get away from all the mosquitoes. And you have no report of anything happening in Perga. So there's almost a sense of, you know, we need to, for the sake of what God has called us to do, take care of ourselves and do that. And that's just a really good response too. God's called you, but he's also called you to be really, really wise in the midst of what he's called you to do. So what do you need to kind of look at in your life around that? And so he trusted and took care of himself. And, and it's a fact of life. You need to know that whatever you have been called to, if God's called you to it, and it is a kingdom work, I don't care if it's in a church ministry or an ministry outside it, or if it's in a work, you know, God maybe called you to, to begin a business or God's called you to, to be involved in some other um, place where if God's calling you and in that call, he's moving forward his kingdom, you should expect opposition. Expect often, many times God will bless you. And in those blessing times, the Cyprus moments, just say, God, thank you. This is so cool. But also know that Satan does not like the way you're moving out for him. And so I like what one commentator says around this. He says, standing between you and your objectives will be a mountain range of obstacles, difficulties, dangers, and discouragements. Critics 
Actual critics hide in the howls of that treacherous land waiting to steal your enthusiasm. They just want you not to be enthusiastic. They want you to move into discouragement and disappointment. Unhealthy idealism will set you up for disillusionment, which will make you believe that the reward isn't worth the risk. And I share with people, when you become disillusioned because you have had high ideals, I have that a lot happen to me. The dis is a good thing. To be disillusioned means God is moving away your illusion so you can see clearly what needs to be done. So be encouraged, not discouraged. The African missionary David Livingston on this whole idea of being spiritually tough, keeping your eye on the call of God, went into the interior of Africa. No one had gone there. And he had made such a mark. I was talking to um, actually Pastor Dan from Plymouth Covenant. When he took a sabbatical and went there, he just was amazed at in the interior how many places where David Livingston's influence in very positive ways are still, are, are, are still um, felt. Years and years later, David Livingston said, I determined never to stop until I had come to the end and achieved my purpose that Jesus called me to. That's a spiritually resilient person. Now, I love this next part as we get into the next passage of Scripture, uh, this next verses, verses 14, the end of it to verse 15. It says, on the Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue for the services, and after the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Now, this is what I think is very funny. Here's their message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. So here they are, they're visitors. They probably look like they're beat. They look like wet rags. You know, I, I can't imagine that good. And, and it reminded me when I was doing this, it reminded me when I was growing up, um, and some of you who are church people who have grown up in the church years ago, you remember when you're a new person to come, like if you had a whole group of people here and, and they would say at a certain point, if you're new for your first time, please stand. <laughs> Anybody want to do that? So if you're new for your, you know, everyone's going, oh, oh no. And then they would have them stand. You'd go, there's a welcome here, a welcome here, a Christian welcome here. Remember that? There's, should we do this again? Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, that's kind of what's going on. Here are Paul and Barnabas going to this place where they probably don't have lots of visitors that are coming to the synagogue. Paul and Barnabas are wiped out and they're singing, there's a welcome here and encourage us with some news. I think it was me. I'd go, are you crazy? Encourage us with some news. And what I think is wonderful is that Paul and Barnabas didn't respond that way. They began to rehearse the incredible love and faithfulness of God to his promises in their life. Because spiritually tough people who are resilient through very tough times are the kind of people who will keep their eye, not just on the call, but will begin to um, recall God's past faithfulness and recall his word and his promises to them. And they will walk in it. One of the best things you can do when you're in a situation like this is to go, okay, God, I'm going to take your word and I'm going to read it. I'm going to see how you've been faithful again and again and again to look at stories and reread the story. A good thing to do is to look at your life and go, God, where are some places in my life where I was scared, I was living in fear, I was discouraged, I was this, I was that, and you came and met me, and you were faithful. 
What I think is interesting is as they are um, going through this process, this is exactly what Paul does. They, they rehearse the scripture. And I was going to read the rest of the scripture from verses 16 through 31, but I'm not going to do to time. I'm going to just give you a quick summary of this portion of scripture. Because I have a sense that when Paul was reading this, God was speaking to his own heart. And as he gave this message, because he basically is saying to them, God has been faithful to Israel. You guys in the synagogue, both you Jews and you God-fearers here who are Gentiles, I want you to know the truth of what God's word is, that he is faithful to you even when you're unfaithful. When you've been disobedient, he still comes and he still works in your life and he still loves you. And he just rehearses how God faithfully worked through them, his plan to the point where he brought Jesus again and again and again. God had a plan. He was going to work it out. And and he rehearses this whole thing. One thing that's important about these verses of Scripture, just from a teaching standpoint, is when you look at this passage of Scripture and then we look at the next week's one where he goes to these two missions, Luke is purposely sharing with you what Paul and Barnabas basically taught every place they went. So he doesn't repeat it to every time he goes. So here's your first kind of summary of what Paul would teach when he'd go to a synagogue. And then next week you'll see the response. He gives you kind of the the standard typical response that he gets in each of the cities, and they vary some. But here's the typical message. He gives the message. I encourage you to read it on your own, that portion of Scripture. But it ends with this idea that here is Jesus who has come to earth. There's nothing like giving thanks to God publicly. We said, like, come this morning and sing and tell God he's good, even if it's not feeling like it is. There's nothing that encourages your heart, honestly. Instead of just, you know, someone says how things are going. It's okay to share that, but if you just stay there and you don't say, but yet God is faithful, and then share how God has been faithful in the past, you won't get the encouragement, nor will they. So he goes on, and, and, and I'm going to read these verses from 32 to 43 because they're important, because they're key verses. This is a key point that Paul gets to in his message. And he says, and now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise was made to our ancestors, and God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus, which was the psalm of the Messiah of David. It says, you are my son today. I have become your father. This is sounding like it's David, but he's speaking about the Messiah to come, the anointed one, David is. For God has promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in the grave. He said, I will give you the sacred blessings I promised to David. Another psalm explains it, says Paul, more fully. You will not allow your holy one to rot in the grave. This is not, Paul is saying to them, a reference to David, even though it's about David who's speaking it. For after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. No, catch this. It was a reference to someone else, someone whom God raised and whose body did not decay. Here's the point. Brothers, listen, he says. Take this in. This is the good news. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. And everyone who believes in Jesus is made right in God's sight. He removes your sins. He sees you like he would look at his own perfect son. 
It's something the law of Moses could never do. Be careful, don't let the prophet's words apply to you. And he says, look, you mockers, be amazed and die, for I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you. And as Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. And many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely, listen to this, on the grace of God. That's the good news. So if you are here and you are feeling the weight and guilt of your sin, you are living in the shame of your own imperfection, you're living in the shame of your own um, uh, willful uh, sins against others or God, here's the good news. Jesus wants to give you forgiveness. He wants you to live in that forgiveness. He wants you to walk out of here and walk every day in the grace of God. I was listening to a podcast um, that Julian Johnson, our church, sent me. It's about a two-hour thing. I sent it to other people because I thought it was really good, but then a lot of them said it's really pretty hard and difficult to understand and long and everything else. And But I loved it because it was between this guy Jordan Peterson and, and the Catholic Bishop um, Barron, who are both quite popular on social media. Peterson kind of philosophically on a conservative end, but I really admire his desire to try and really understand truth. And then you have Bishop Barron, who I think has some incredibly powerful things to say. Um, and as I'm listening to this thing, <clears throat> at one point, in intellectual honesty, as, as, as Jordan Peterson is talking about, he says, you know, the most important thing about the New Testament is this fact. And it's the message, he says, that startled everyone who hears it and deeply considers it. It's the exact message that Paul shared wherever he went. And Baron Bishop also says, um, yes, it's this message. The ruler of all creation, God the Almighty, holy, righteous, judge of all things visited this earth. He came as God and took on humanity. And he says... Um, He took on all our dysfunction, our sin, our suffering, our diseases. Jesus took on everything. And then he made this statement. After doing all that, we killed him. And he says, here's kind of what's amazing about this. God and Jesus rises from the dead, and God and Jesus stood before the disciples. He showed them the wounds of all the stuff he took from you, Forever, if you're willing to receive his grace. And he doesn't come like, you know, one of them said, like, we'd be angry. You know how we'd respond. He comes and he says, you're forgiven. I bring you peace. I want you to live in shalom. This is the good news. And resilient people live in the forgiveness and grace of God. Because when you go through tough times, one of the things that happens in your mind, in your heart, is you know you kind of start having this accusing voice go, you know, and, and it may be that it's even true. You made a dumb call, or you made a mistake, or you did something wrong. Who knows? Maybe they should have stayed in Cyprus. I don't know. But you have this accusing voice that's coming against you, and the truth is this. Even if you blew it, if you just acknowledge it and aware of it and, 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 and repent and say, God, I, I understand that he is here to give you grace. Every day for you is a new day. Every moment for you is a new moment. We live and walk and experience the fact that God is crazy about us because he sees us as kids. And like kids, when we come to a recognition, we've done wrong. 
And if we are humble like Jesus said, be like children. If we, we have that aspect and we go, you know what? We're not bigger than our britches. It's an old kind of statement. Anyway, just came to my mind. I don't know why I said it. Anyway, <laughs> if we're willing not to be arrogant and proud, if we're willing to bend our heart and our knees, I don't care who you are, what race you come from, what background you have, I don't care how big a sin, how much you feel you failed God or some other person. If your heart is just open to receive Jesus, your Father in Heaven looks at you like sinless, sacrificing, death and resurrection Jesus. And you go, but why would He do that? Because of what Jesus did. And you go, but why would He do that? I don't deserve it. Because yeah, you don't. But faith says, I'm going to walk in that because that's the God that Paul was sharing with them. That's the good news. And spiritually tough people, when it's getting tough, when you have the voices coming against you, that yeah, you're the one, you're, you're paying for it, God's not with you, baloney, God is so for you. Let me just share with you then, as you go on, um, the spiritually tough, they're the ones who learn and grow. They, they learn and grow. Acts 13, verses 44 through 48. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them. Remember, they were going to, we want to hear you again next week. You so encouraged us. We want more encouragement. So they stick around for a week and then preach the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. So they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, it was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. That's our strategy everywhere we go. We'll look at it next week. They go to the synagogues, to the Jews first. But since you have rejected it, and catch these words, judge your own selves, yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. For the Lord gives us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad, and they thanked the Lord for the message. Yeah? Yet we get in. We don't have to get circumcised. Um, and all who were chosen for eternal life became believers so the Lord's message spread throughout that region I love this you know because one of the things you find about spiritually tough and resilient people is the fact that they have the ability to see their mistakes honestly and humbly and learn from them they have the ability to go through tough times and go boy and it's not even a mistake. That didn't work the way it could have. Instead of being bullheaded, they go, hey, we need to shift and move and do what we need to do in order to get the objective done that God wants us to do. And so in their mind, it was very clear that when they went to this synagogue, which they would do again and again, because they wanted to start with at least people who were God-fearers and other Jews who were open to it, because they had a base of foundation in which to bring the gospel, because next week you'll see a group that doesn't. It's a lot harder. And they would go and they'd bring it and they realize, okay, if they're going to reject it, that's okay. That's It's your choice. But we're going to work with those who want to move forward. That's a biblical principle. Even as a church. If the Spirit of God is calling us in a direction, we want to work with those who are saying, God, and, and, and it may be that they, you know, it, when it take this away from the gospel and that kind of hard line, but it may be that sometimes God is saying, you know what, I have this is where you need to be if this is where your heart is. But what you see here in this, in this passage of scripture is they, they learn and they grow. 
And I don't know what you might be going through, but you might just need to stop and say, God, this, this is shaping me. This is teaching me something. I'm, I'm going to learn in the midst of this to be content. I'm going to grow. It wasn't until years later that Paul, you know, so here he is, he's going through this stuff. He's having this eye condition thing that some believe was the thorn in the flesh. He's having these headaches, they're up in the mouth. Years later, here's Paul over on this side, and Paul is going, I learned contentment through all those things I went through. So what you're going through right now is an opportunity there to move to here. And in 10 years, I would love to hear you say, man, God taught me contentment. The last thing I'm going to just share, and then we're going to go to this song if the band wants to come and lead us in it, is a spiritually tough based your joy in God. And here's the scripture. Then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women. Again, influential religious women were both politically and also you have this Artemis cult thing going on. And the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. Okay? So Paul and Barnabas shake the dust off their feet as a sign of rejection. So it's this kind of sense of whatever this spirit is in this town, we're not bringing it with us. It's really good sometimes when you're in those kind of situations. You say, I don't want this spirit of of anger, I don't want the spirit of whatever it might be to go with me. It's also a sense of, you know what, you will, you are responsible for your own sin. So that's just kind of cutting off, get the dust off me. And then he goes on and he says, and, and they went to the town of Iconium, which we look at next week. It's kind of a really cool story, so I hope you can be here to hear it. And the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is how it ends. They were filled with getting run out of town, going through all this junk. They are basing their joy not on what people are responding to them with. They were not bound by other people's rejection or acceptance. That's what, If you want joy, it can't be based out here. It can't be based on how your, your spouse might be responding to you, how your kids are responding. I mean, you have to work through all this stuff. But your joy is in God. And I, I, I look at this and I go, their joy was rooted in this reality that the only approval that counted was God and they would walk in his grace. And spiritually resilient people resiliently say again and again, God, I'm going to follow your call to its end because I believe those who start a good thing, like you said, you'll complete it. And God, I am going to go ahead and Walk this thing out in such a way that I look at your past faithfulness and your and, and how you work there. I'm going to live in grace and understand and walk in forgiveness. And as I walk in forgiveness, I'm going to grow and learn because that's what this is all about. We're all doing that. We're all learning, hopefully. And then I'm going to, through it all, trying to start learning how to be content and base my joy in that which really counts, and that's you. Let's stand together and let's sing.